Welcome to this fireside chat. My name is Kevin Hill here at Freight Waves, and right now we have an exciting guest for you. It's Tom James, and he's the author of Deep, Deep Space Commodities, Exploration, Production, and Trading, and I have a copy of it right here if I can get it on the camera. Right here, I've been reading it this past week. It's a, a fascinating book about the, the new economy of deep space, energy, you know, or commodities, um, uh, on asteroids, on moon, on planetary objects, it's it's super interesting. And uh, and welcome to the to the talk. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, yeah. So I, let's take a high level uh, of the book and the exciting opportunities that we find in in deep space and commodities, not only metals, uh, but commodities like water and and ice and, and other things. And can you lay out the thesis that you have in the book about? To this exciting opportunity. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the the reason for the book actually was to, to kind of offer a very practical, holistic view of all the challenges that we still have to face, you know, as commodity industry, if we're going to do business in space. So had some great contributions from some lawyers and, and even one uh, article on how to negotiate with alien species from a professor in the UK, which is my favorite. Um, so, you know, kind of it kind of preps you for firsthand, you know, for, for everything you could, might encounter in space. Um, what I like best is that uh, it's actually uh, right to the theme of uh, logistics. You know, the fact is you go in space, um, it's maritime law. You know, um, most of the international treaties that were signed by the big superpowers like Russia and U.S. back in the 60s and 70s only talked about governments in space. You know, and ever since the Space Act 2015 was enacted out of the U.S., uh, which really took the lead on this, it empowered corporations and individuals to actually be able to own the stuff we find in space. Um, but they were very clever to make sure that it cannot be biological. So we cannot enslave alien species. We can only keep hold of the minerals and, <clears throat> minerals and gases that we find up there. That's uh, very interesting. I know space law has a long way to go before they really iron out all of this. Uh, another, another thing that, that has a long way to go, too, before we even start the, the actual mining is the supply chain and the infrastructure in near-Earth and deep space uh, exploration. We've already seen a great boost for, for NASA recently, um, and obviously the plan to get uh, men and women back on the moon um, and a, a permanent lunar base. Um, we've seen a lot of exploration uh, going on there, uh, initially to find water. Uh, there's apparently an estimated 6 billion tons of ice water under the surface of the moon, um, and that will allow us to have a permanent base, make food, uh, water, fuel for, for future missions. Um, and potentially build a lot of that mechanics and machinery in low gravity um, and requiring a lot less energy to sort of get into orbit or move to other planets um, to support that supply chain. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. You know, you have the deep space mining, uh, you have the new, uh, or kind of, kind of in the last few months, uh, a couple of big developments. I think the OSIRIS-REx uh, touched down in October on an asteroid and gathered some samples. I think it was about five seconds worth and moved off. I mean, uh, how big of an impact or how big of, 
you know, how big of a development is that? It's a massive achievement. I know sort of bouncing off an asteroid may not sound like much, uh, but uh, the fact is, of course, you know, the further you go into deep space, communications have a, a time lag, right? So you end up having to really push artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, automated systems, because, you know, here on Earth, by the time the signal gets here and we, we react, it's already too late. You know, even with the moon, you know, a good 10 minutes there and back trying to communicate. Um, so you can't run machinery in real time uh, solely from here. So you need autonomous machinery. Um, and so we've been seeing some very interesting developments there, even here on Earth, where autonomous machines for mining are being tested out here on Earth, which later on could be deployed um, off-planet. Yeah, before we get to the staggering, uh, staggering valuations of the, the commodities and and other than water, you know, uh, water vapor, uh, hydrogen, and uh, down into metals, let's talk about the benefits of the, the space rate, so the new space rates into to commercialization, and what a you know what benefits that that brings us here on Earth, just because of the to the technology developments and, and and money poured in there. What practical applications can we see in the next decade, uh, just by you know uh, developing new technologies for space? Well, yes, um, uh, that's something also I mentioned in the book is that you know a lot of people say, well, what's space got to do with me? Well, you know, if you use the microwave, that was invented by for space. Uh, the uh, long tread uh, miles tire that uh, runs with 10,000 miles, again, that tread was uh, developed in conjunction with NASA, and actually that material was used uh, as parachutes for some of the Mars landers before, and now we use them in tires. So there's a lot of everyday stuff uh, which, uh, you know, is used, uh, we don't even realize, came out of the space race. So there's a lot more exciting developments coming coming forward. Um, I think perhaps here on Earth, the, 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 the most uh, emotive topic and, and valuable thing for civilization is like on the moon. Uh, you know, in moon rock, there is a lot of rare gases which cost millions of dollars per liter here on Earth. That's how rare they are. And they're used in key medical saving devices, you know, like uh, MRI scanners and stuff like that. So there's a, a lot of very interesting stuff there, which will uh, even nuclear fusion as well, uh, gases on the moon, which the Japanese are trying to capture as well. Um, a lot of things which will help us create a, a better better, cleaner future here on Earth. Yeah, we, we never really think about what technology we have here on here. We use on an everyday basis that was developed by NASA and, and the space program. It's more than just Tang, right? Uh, more than the drink Tang out there, definitely. Um, so so what, what is the, the valuation of of deep space commodities? If we, if we move past, you know, the, the water, uh, and, and hydrogen, oxygen, uh, that will probably start mining to begin with for rocket fuel and breathable air out uh, and dive into the metals. I mean, wh what was the valuation? What's the, uh, you know, how much metals are out there? Uh, I was going to say it's out of this world, <laughs> literally. Uh, the fact is, I mean, trillions of dollars, I mean, which is crazy. I mean, you know, if you... You know, some of the asteroids out there which have been kind of isolated with, you know, kind of like pure platinum pretty much or 
or rare earth metals. If you brought all that stuff back, you'd be a one-off trade because you'd collapse the market, right? Um, there's some asteroids out there which contain more platinum than's ever been mined on Earth in the history of mining. Um, so a lot of that stuff's never going to come back here. Um, what is perhaps interesting is rare earth metals um, because here on Earth there is a very there isn't an equal distribution of rare earth metals. Key stuff for modern technologies for some compute supercomputers. A lot of the the stuff which is really driving the new modern civilization. Um, and so the, the opportunity is that asteroids with huge amounts of these rare earth metals for high tech can actually bring a lot of uh, potential benefits to the supply chain, you know, because uh, they're, they're getting harder and harder to find here. Would that supply chain be in, in outer space? Would it be in, in near earth or, or deep space? Because the, the payload figures out there, it'd be very difficult uh, even if we figured out, you know, once the technology is there to actually mine an asteroid to, to bring it back to Earth, I, it seems like it's more uh, the, the cost benefit works out better if it's manufactured in space. Well, for some things, yes. And in fact, uh, for some uh, medical devices, even some uh, computer systems, you know, a lot of work on quantum computers, et cetera, which may operate better. Um, in low gravity or zero gravity environments. So there could be some things out there which will just stay out there because they work better there. You know, some of the even supercomputer systems these days, you spend a lot of energy just cooling them down. When you stick them in space, that's not a problem. Uh, and so, uh, you know, NASA using laser beams and stuff like this for uh, very fast and secure um, interplanetary communications, that's already, you know, under test. So, you know, all of those things are there. I mean, I guess the most interesting thing is that, um, you know, we uh, is, which I like to talk about is space bunkers. So uh, for for some of your, uh, the viewers of this may, may know about shipping and bunkering of uh, fuel for ships. Um, now we're talking about space bunkers. So refueling stations in space, um, and, and that fuel probably will come from the moon. So that's going to make, again, you know, a greener space industry, because you'll be able to actually launch with a lot less fuel on board, which sometimes is 70% of your weight is just the fuel. So you can actually launch with, take bigger payloads, uh, a smaller amount of fuel, which makes it safer into space, because you know the fuel is going to be there, uh, and you can just refuel yeah, are there any other issues with re-entry? So if you're taking uh, uh, platinum or palladium or gold or, you know, iron ore back in, back from an asteroid into Earth, are there any other re-entry type of, of quandaries that, that we're facing now? Yes. I mean, I don't think we've even started to, to tackle that. Uh, either you have to stick it inside a space a ship um, or literally shove it down to earth and uh, uh, I think people are a bit concerned about where it might land. <laughs> so uh, insurance, company, insurance companies might have something to say about that. It definitely you mentioned communications well ago and uh, in your book you had uh, NASA is experimenting and I don't know where they're at right now, there was a couple years ago with Photon. Photon communications, kind of an internet, a planetary internet or, or Wi-Fi system. Can you Go into that in a little bit more detail, Tom. It's hard to keep up. I mean, literally, uh, this is sort of quantum communications. So, you know, this is basically looking at how you could have instantaneous 
intergalactic communication. So um, it's still very experimental, but they've already proven here on Earth using uh, telescopes, in fact, that they could change the state uh, of uh, a electron or photon in one place, uh, pair it, and uh, the other photon actually change the state, so positive to negative, etc. So this was always the big quandary for Einstein as well. He couldn't understand it because that would mean that you're having communication at faster than the speed of light. So, you know, I think, you know, this again gets into how when you get into quantum mechanics, things don't behave like your normal everyday physics. Um, so a lot of very interesting stuff going on. A lot of people are envisioning the moon as the, the first base for any type of Mars mission or Mars uh, uh, colonization. Uh, do you think how important is communications to that process? Very, very important. Um, and because of those limitations, which I think will carry on for quite some time, you know, the, it will be we'll be depending on autonomous robots quite a lot uh, for, for mining and for gathering stuff. Um, and we may have a few engineers out there. So, I mean, anyone who's doing tracking, who's, you know, thinking of uh, uh, switching jobs to, uh, to, to, to running cargo uh, between planets and stuff, uh, uh, that, that, unfortunately, there may be robots <laughs> to kick off with. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we, that, that's what it is right now, too, robots, very crude robots, you know, unmanned missions. So I, I would imagine with the that environment of space, it, it makes much more sense to, to have robots do most of the tasks. Right, and with humans there to kind of back up when things go wrong. I mean, the, the problem is for human beings, I mean, space is a pretty tough environment. Um, in fact, I was quite shocked. I thought... Until very recently, I actually presumed that, like, International Space Station would have some kind of insulation against solar radiation or solar flares kicking off. But there isn't. In fact, uh, to date, um, most spaceships don't have much uh, radiation protection. So, you know, astronauts really take their lives in their own hands. They could get uh, zapped at any moment. Um, there's now only starting to have new materials developing, which will give... Uh, both be you know be lightweight, but part of the infrastructure of the ship, but also give um, good protection against the sort of extrasolar radiation that's out there, um, and that's that's now you know seeing a lot of new space tech developing there for that. How prevalent is uh, uh, solar radiation? I, I know you mentioned in your book, and, and it's very dangerous. I, I I just don't know how prevalent that though those bursts of, of radiation are. Yeah, uh, I mean, NASA recently sent out a, a satellite to get the closest look at the sun. Uh, and we're understanding a lot more over the last few years about how the sun behaves um, and even sort of trying to predict when there might be additional solar activity or the impact here on Earth, because it, that knocks out communications um, and can destroy uh, satellites and systems like that. So right now, there's a lot more work on how to help protect uh, systems from uh, deep space <clears throat> radiation. Um, you know, looking forward uh, maybe 40, 50 years from now, I mean, NASA has already announced that even with current technology, they could potentially, with the funding, build an artificial magnetic field for Mars, for example, um, which would help us also more safely explore that planet and potentially terraform 
uh, and make it uh, more hospitable uh, to support uh, human life as well within 80 years. So there's a lot of interesting stuff, and that's with today's technology. And that's outstanding. I, I, I remember that chapter in your book, and it, it's outstanding to think about changing the environment, even a little bit in a, in a planet like Mars. If we go back to asteroids and deep space mining, uh, it kind of reminds me of you know what we know about asteroids, what we can kind of map out and, and penetrate. It reminds me a little bit of the wildcatter days back in, in the oil fields where there wasn't a, a great understanding of below the surface. We couldn't really map it. I mean, it was more of, of landforms back in the 10s and 20s where you have wildcatters and, and a lot of dry wells, a lot of dry holes. Uh, do you think that we'll, ha we'll be going through that kind of kind of that, that same process as we try to map out and 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 better analyze what metals are made up of of each asteroid I mean there's a couple of interesting sort of pioneers um, um, in, over the last couple of years deep space industries uh, planetary resources um, both who have have very interesting approaches where their ultra tech, high-tech sort of sensitive sensors are already helping us here on Earth to locate commodities, track better uh, the growth of agriculture, um, track our assets as the cargoes as they move around the world. But those same um, new uh, systems um, are planned to be turned around in the other direction uh, in order to actually find out what is in the asteroids much more accurately. You know, we've already seen some asteroid databases come out, giving kind of valuations and estimates. Um, but, you know, a lot of those are from distant data, sometimes from radio telescopes, et cetera, which can tell us a lot about what's there. But like you said, it doesn't tell us exactly what's in the core of uh, a lot of these asteroids. Um, but these new systems will be able to penetrate that close as a close encounter with these asteroids and really isolate which ones are worth mining or not. I meant to, to kind of start off with this uh, a little bit is, is satellite technology and, and tracking. We were talking about uh, it being very analogous to the, the maritime industry uh, about real-time tracking that we see on Earth and our supply chains. It's getting better and better each year. And the, the satellite technology that's that's making it much more cost-efficient and, and satellites are much smaller and, and more niche, I suppose. Can you go into the, the satellite technology that's out there right now? It, it's incredible, really. Um, nanosats, uh, microsats. Um, what is interesting is, you know, SpaceX and others really leading uh, the reduction in the cost of payload. So in the past, you know, a small company would never imagine that they would be able to cost-effectively launch their own nanosatellite um, for their own tracking, their own use. Um, but also now there's thousands of uh, satellites in operation. And now you're seeing uh, hundreds of nanosats being launched simultaneously uh, from one rocket, um, creating basically covering every single part of, of the Earth um, with ultra-sensitive devices. Um, and a lot of that data now you can buy very cost-effectively. So, um, you know, with uh, the likes of uh, Google AI, uh, Amazon AWS, all of these types of cloud-based systems, um, even as a small company, you can actually cost-effectively analyze um, satellite data. 
um, and actually start to build your own algorithms and uh, things to track you know, your on-the-ground logistics uh, and business. It, it is amazing how quickly the costs are coming down. What do you expect to, to round out the interview here, Tom? What do you think the next, say, five years brings in in both deep space mining and the, the benefits like you just mentioned on communications and, and data analysis here in in Earth logistics itself? Well, I mean, um, I'm seeing in commodity markets already uh, a lot of real-time information on cargoes, you know, the temperature, the humidity of the cargo, where it is, where it's going, whether it's going along the right route um, or whether and, and even predictive analysis, I think, is coming up now where, you know, if you're driving a truck, the system will work out tens of thousands of iterations of the best route to take uh, and what speed to go at to conserve uh, your, your fuel, etc. Um, so, uh, you know, all of these will be coming. So, you know, and you know, uh, I think uh, uh, also even uh, with the shipping industry as well, <clears throat> a lot more predictive analysis, which will just mean that people can make sure they're in the right place at the right time, um, uh, and uh, that supply chain moves really uh, frictionless. On, on the deep space side, I, I guess m the moon colonization, or the I guess the moon exploration, not colonization so much, but exploration, that's that's probably the first step. How, how much progress over the next five years do you think we make in exploring the moon, mapping that out, searching for water vapor uh, for rocket fuel? Well, I think and as a civilization, so I mean, there's so many countries now <clears throat> that are making a big impact uh, on the moon uh, in terms of data and analysis, uh, and also lots of uh, challenges of... Uh, even private companies to, to create machines to, to actually go and start drilling and finding those uh, top sources of uh, minerals and water, et cetera, to support that. I, I, within 10 years, you know, we're going to have people there all the time, I reckon. Um, that's my judgment call on things. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> we will. We, we will. It's, it's hard to, 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 to nail down timelines sometimes, right, because they're very complex tasks. That that will run run over definitely. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Tom. Uh, thank again, you Tom, very much. Uh, you for me, yeah. yeah, yeah. And again, Tom is the uh, the author of Deep Space Commodities Exploration, Production, and Trading. You can go. I, I imagine you can buy it off off Amazon or any other bookseller. So indeed, yeah, certainly, yes. um, yeah, certainly uh, check that out. And um, again, thank you for your time, Tom. Thank you very much.